Smart Council is a joint production of Multnomah University, Alternative Behavioral Therapy, and New Pattern Counseling. Joshua Moore is a counselor at Alternative Behavioral Therapy in Vancouver, Washington, who specializes in neurofeedback and trauma. Reese Basimio is a counselor at New Pattern Counseling in Gresham, Oregon, who specializes in addictions, sexuality, gender, and spirituality. Thanks for listening and for joining the conversation. Welcome to Smart Council. Musings on men, anger, trauma. Smart Council provides perspectives and resources to providers and students on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma. I'm Reese Basimio. I'm Joshua Moore. And we have our guest today, Mr. Ainsley Silva. Hey, how's it going, everybody? We're well. How are you? Uh, today is a glorious Northwest day. I grew up in Southern California, so I'm no stranger to the sun, but once I moved up here... The sun became a stranger to you. Is that what that bright thing in the sky is? We broke up. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I likewise have southwest roots, and I I frequently bemoan the quality of summer up here. When it happens, it's great, but it's really unpredictable. And I think I've seriously developed like a preoccupied attachment style to the weather because I'm just. It's like I have total anxious avoidant anxious attachments out to the weather because I never know what it's going to be. And so I'm just always obsessing over it. Well, but the, the summers up here are like pretty amazing. They're um, not like blistering hot for the most part. And the scenery is gorgeous. So that I mean, one week of sun we get that one week of sun. <laughs> yes. And do take note, local Oregonians, 90 degrees is not blistering hot. <laughs> oh yeah. We well, talk to me when is. you get, <laughs> talk to me when you get into the, the one teens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. a vampire. I'm just going to hide inside until it's over. <laughs> oh geez. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I do that too. It's a recluse. Yeah. So like, we have Ainsley Silva here. Ainsley Silva from Southern California, <laughs> the land of the sun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you up from Southern California to Oregon. Well, and what brought you into the counseling field and what is your corner of the counseling field? Oh, it's so many questions. This is, this could be a, a a long story. I hope everybody has their, their tea and they're ready to, to, for story time. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, came up here. Uh, for two things for, I was pursuing a relationship with a young lady at the time and, um, school and one of those worked out. Um, <laughs> was it the girl? No, no, no. no, I've got my counseling degree. <laughs> uh. No. Um, so I, uh, I moved up here. Um, uh, I, I, you know, it's, I think it's really cool how God works things out and creates, passions uh and interweaves like the circumstances of your life into like how he makes you and i mean that was really a part of it um uh through her and her family like i was introduced to a gentleman who actually graduated from george fox Mm -hmm. and i was asking him questions about the counseling program because at the time i was like well should i go into counseling or should i go get my seminary degree i'm not really sure which way i want to go and he said if he had to do it all over again he'd go to western and I was like, well, that's a bold statement. So I checked out their program and they integrated uh, faith and psychology in a way that I hadn't seen. Western it, Seminary. Yeah, yes. Western mm-hmm. Seminary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hadn't seen any other program uh, uh, integrate the two of them hmm. um, the way they did. Uh, and I, I've checked out you know, Biola down in California because that's where I was living. And um, Western uh, required Bible and theology as a part of the, the, the counseling curriculum. And... Um, I visited, I talked to the the staff and they were 
uh, amazing. I didn't I didn't uh, apply to any other program. It was just Western. And they let me in on a prayer and a lot of honesty. <laughs> there's probably more stories there. <laughs> oh, there's so many. So like the 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 dean at the time, Dave Wenzel, he uh, knew everything. You know, I had a 2.5 as a football player. I did a lot of partying and a lot of crazy football player things before I gave my life to Christ. And um. I was real upfront about it. I was like, so here's what you're working with. Like, you can let me in. This is going to be great, right? Yeah. (laughs) And work in progress. Well, but so I got in on academic probation, (laughs) which was great because I, well, yes. That's how I entered Multnomah, by the way. (laughs) Just so you know. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So they, uh, you know, like I was, I thought I was in. I was like, oh, great. Academic probation, no problem. I got this, right? So I, I, you know, did well in school. And during the interview, um, Dave, uh, had, had just had the first sexual misconduct, um, case, uh, from a graduate mm. come to light and the, the, the guy was getting, uh, charged and not good things were happening and he was pretty upset about it. And he, uh, <laughs> he, he was like, so tell me why this isn't going to be you. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so he's well, making you think. Well, yeah, and 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 I really appreciate uh, him being direct and forward and and really calling me to task and figuring out how I'm going to do this work well and be a man and not put myself in stupid situations. Um, and it it was something that continues to ring true in my work today and it's something that i always kind of have on the back of my mind uh, because i i don't want to uh put myself or anybody else in that kind of position um at, at the end of the program when when i graduated we had uh shared stories the staff was great they do like a dinner for the graduating class and they they serve us and you know they're they're essentially the waiters and then mm-hmm. Um, they, they put on this like mock, uh, award ceremony where they kind of, you know, give funny, fun awards where they're poking fun or, you know, Hey, this is what we, we really liked about you. Um, and Dave gave me the, uh, the award of, uh, you've come a long way, baby. <laughs> oh, you come a long way, Ainsley. And yeah. I was like, oh, it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, he was yeah. like, he's, he said something effective. You know, when you see somebody in the interview for the program and you let them in just to see what's going to happen because you're kind of bored. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, yeah, that's about yes. right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's spice up my life. Let's, let's add a little Ainsley. Well, yeah, exactly. Super yeah, good. Spice, Super good. It, spice it up. Yeah. Right. Well, and then I, I, and I, told I like him, a challenge. Yeah, and I, and I had told him that at a lunch, like after that, about our me- meeting to get formally into the program. Yeah, and he didn't remember it. Oh so man, he's, <laughs> he's like, I said that. He's like, Yeah. He's like, Oh, I'm really sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's he's got this massive deep voice, and I was like, No, man. Like, I really appreciate it. Like that. Uh-huh. That was actually super helpful to um, be that forward, and you know, really call me to task. Like, I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, well good. Like, <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that worked out. Well, that brings the, so, so that brings to mind a, a tangent you were talking about cause we like tangents. Mm-hmm. We yep, like yep. tangents. Um, but you, so you talked about being called to task 
uh, you know, the con- in the context of some sexual misconduct was happening and you're, you know, being given the, the adjournment, you know, how will this not be you? And like, you know, you know, watch yourself, something like that. Um, which makes me think of sexual misconduct in the field because sadly, tragically it happens. And yeah, does that ever happen to therapists? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> once know, or twice. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I can sum up the ethics classes, you know, don't, don't have sex with your clients. Don't have sex with your clients. I feel like I've heard much. that somewhere. Yeah. Past, present, future clients. Don't do it. Don't right? just, don't, yeah. just yeah. don't do it. Yeah. Um, but, but it is one of the realities that we, we try to impress upon students early on in the, in the program. And yep should always be impressed on students and interns and therapists that stuff happens. You get burned out, you get messed up in the head, uh, or your past you, catches up with you, your past catches up with you, yeah. or you just start <laughs> justifying weird things yeah. or you start making compromises of some sort. Yeah. I mean, it happens. Um, but from where you're at now and with everything that you've learned, uh, what sort of perspectives would you offer to, you know, new students who are getting in the field as far as how do you avoid, entanglements how do you avoid misconduct what are some things to to keep in mind uh definitely being open and honest about what's going on uh because it happens you're uh in an intimate relationship with somebody for lack of a better way of phrasing it you're talking to somebody about their deepest darkest secrets the Mm -hmm. most important things in their life their um sensitivities and vulnerabilities and these are by nature very intimate conversations and it's not uncommon for feelings to develop and when if they do it's really important to be just honest about it like with a supervisor with colleagues um you consult you talk about it um and from the therapist perspective right like if if that's something that's going to be a barrier to you doing good work with somebody and you can't work through this with your supervisor you refer out right and Mm -hmm. it's super common for the for the person on the couch to develop feelings for a therapist and often when we talked about trauma earlier, it was mentioned that complicates things because it's, uh, you know, oh, this, it's a safe person finally, and they're going to take care of me and they're going to do all these great things for me. And, and in a lot of ways, you're redoing some of the templates that they've had, um, f- not only for people who aren't safe, adults, men who aren't safe, uh, but the, the, the white knight fantasy that happens in their head um, as a part of what they think a healthy relationship looks like. Um, And that's really delicate, really important work to do to address it honestly in session. If you can work through it with the person. And again, like if not refer out. Mm -hmm. Referring out is one of the best tools in the counselor's toolbox for sure for, for protection for both the counselor and the client. Um, but the preceding tools, like you're talking about, are having having that self awareness of being able to recognize, oh my goodness, this is happening, and being able to also then fall back on a community, a supervisor, a colleague, and to be able to talk about it without any shame, without any any fear there, um, which seems really precious, really priceless when you can have it. Um, but I wonder, you know, talking about men's issues and things, what are some of the um, I'm not going to just assume that everybody has that or can right. generate that, that sort of trusting close relationship with a supervisor or colleague. Um, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you see as being barriers to that sort of safe closeness with a colleague for guys mm, in general, but yeah, a little bit of for guys. 
Well, we don't always choose our supervisors. Uh, that's true. So sometimes we're in community mental health program where we're assigned a supervisor. Not all of us are, you know, lucky enough or blessed enough to work in private practice where we get to choose the people that we pay. <laughs> you know, I guess yeah. if you put it that way. Um, and so, you know, that could be a barrier for sure. Um, you know, you don't have the rapport, you don't have the trust, you don't have the the connection or the attachment with the person to to be as open as you need to be in order to you know get the appropriate security. Yeah, for guys, I think in general, it's the the willingness to. I was actually talking to a guy about this today. Um, allow yourself to be seen as potentially imperfect and flawed, and allow mm-hmm. other people to you know look at that and to comment on it. Uh, that's for for a lot of guys that shows potentially an incompetence which can be seen as a weakness, which um, will, will manifest as shame. And guys want to avoid that at all cost. And it, like you said earlier, to be able to have these discussions without shame is super important. And the, the, the willingness to get help and to, and to see it as something necessary and human rather than something that's going to be uh, a, a diss on you, uh, you being, you know, a good man, a good therapist, a good male therapist. Hard work to do sometimes, but it is hard because, like you said, it, it really pricks the the competency narrative, and which is I think related to the acceptance narrative, which I think goes at least for me sometimes, and I think for others, the if I am not competent, if I'm not okay, then I'm going to get rejected or actually hurt. Um, or attacked or something. And so, yeah, so we're going to tend to want to look strong and put together as much as possible all of the, all of the time, even if we're not in that. And I think that's, that's, that's the zone where we can get ourselves into trouble or make mistakes or fall prey to various temptations of various sorts. And that's a trap that a lot of guys fall into um, just as being set up in society as a male in America you know, you, you need to appear strong and competent at all times, at all costs, even if it's not true, which puts us largely on an island. And then we do and say really stupid things that blow up our lives. It happens. Yeah. So, well, well, that, well, that was a nice tangent. <laughs> <laughs> I, was trying, I was trying to like lob it up. Yeah. Here it comes. Here, here it comes. <laughs> no. Take a swing. Right. Well, <laughs> well and you, you specialize in men. Yeah, yeah. I getting back to our introduction. Yeah, <laughs> men, angry boys. Yeah, that's that's yeah. like if I've got thirty seconds to tell somebody what I do. Yeah, I specialize in working with with men with addictive issues, pornography, relationship issues, um, and angry boys that are violent. Yeah, I think the first time I looked you up and saw you on one of those like you know directories, I think what I saw was like in all caps men and like four <laughs> or five exclamation points. Yeah. And then, and then a paragraph or two explaining about how you specialize in men, and and I don't think I'd ever seen that before. Like I was like, I think who so. markets right. to a group that doesn't come to therapy? <laughs> who does that? This guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what that right. Well, I, I was saying how Josh has been bragging on you for for months, and every time it's like, yeah, Ainsley, he's the guy that works with only men. And I'm like, wow, that's <laughs> well, really cool. I I mean, like, it's not only men. I do <laughs> right. see I see you know single moms, and I do see you work with angry boys, women too. as well, right? But if I've if I've only got thirty seconds to to tell somebody what I do, I mean, those are the things I'm going to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Okay. I've just never seen anyone like market themselves to men. Like, 
I was impressed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, growing up, um, like my dad didn't have um, any model really for what it looked like to be a good man. Uh, my grandma's both marriages were very abusive and his dad was her second marriage and he bolted when my dad was super young. So my dad wasn't really set up for success, which in turn, right? Like I didn't get a whole lot of guidance from, from dad as well. He did the best with what he could. And at the same time, um, he wasn't working with a whole lot. So uh, it's, it's really something that's, um, near and dear to my heart. Uh, like being able to, to help other guys be good, strong men of character i really love that and i'm i'm drawn to working with men a lot as well i I haven't made the the step to working exclusively with men because uh well partly because i also work with a lot of a lot of um i work with the gender spectrum and uh some non-binary folks and i I don't want to i don't want to exclude anyone there well and um, i don't think Ainsley experience but, right, right true, but, but again yeah i get yeah, what you're saying yeah I, yeah but it's you're gonna struggling or students that you know you you don't actually get referrals by painting yourself with the broadest paintbrush the something guy right does that make sense or the something girl yeah. or the something woman you know you have to because because otherwise you're just thing. yeah right? so yeah. like with the angry boys for example right like if if somebody's got a pissed off teenager or a, like they're gonna be like oh yeah ainsley like that's that's mm-hmm. the guy He's right? the like you need to go yes. talk to him yeah yeah. yeah, that's really sweet. So, so I'd, I'd love to hear more about um, how you do what you do. Like, what's I mean, what's your approach? What's your models? What's your tools? Like, um, yeah. So I did my thesis on uh, Adlerian psychotherapy. Um, uh, for for those that are in the know, probably shocker, but like, <laughs> <laughs> he was he was he was a a, a guy who was pretty self conscious and. Um, that's where the inferiority complex started. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's one of the first in my mind, like, uh, psychotherapeutic models that was fairly comprehensive. It was familial, existential, all the, um, the big names, like he, he really thought through what it meant to be uh, a human being. Um, so I, I really draw a lot on that and I have become, uh, to my chagrin, uh, more and more CBT as I get older. Sure. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) we got to start somewhere. I mean, I, well, I just, it's, I don't, I don't like, I, my younger self would punch my older self in the face. (laughs) (laughs) I did not like CBT when I was in uh, in the master's program over at Western, yes. um, but here I am, and I find it very practical, and it is super useful, makes sense to a lot of people, especially guys. It's systematic, measurable. Um, I like to take the guesswork out of therapy, especially for guys that come in and they don't really know what it looks like to succeed. Uh, you have these really practical tasks. Like here's what it looks like to succeed. You do these, these things, your life's going to be different. They go out and they do them and they come back and how to go. Hey, that, that worked. My life's different. Like, okay, great. Yeah. Let's keep doing that. Um, versus something that's more process oriented. Um, uh, like really, uh, emotionally focused attachment work. Like, 
uh, that that doesn't typically land super well with the you, people that I work that with. Do you feel that working with men influences your therapeutic approach? You know, I never really thought about it that way until saying it out loud right now. Oh, and, so, and, like a maybe. <laughs> well, no, but I, I, <laughs> yeah, think, yeah. I think absolutely, yeah. right? Like, well, so, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that the, that the I have probably gravitated this way because because of the populations that I work with. I did a lot of crisis work right out of uh, uh, the program. And so the, they're looking for um, evidence-based practices, um, you know, and they want you to follow the golden thread. Otherwise they're not going to pay or they're not going to re-auth for, you know, a kid that's suicidal um, or homicidal or actively psychotic. So if I don't do a good job of, of really walking the utilization review people through the process of why I'm doing what I'm doing, how it's measurable and where we're at right now. Uh, it would, they would say, Oh, good luck. They're going to go to level three now. Like they, they no level, they, they no longer get level five services. Hmm. So, and like, so it helps with some of the bureaucracy that too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean like it's, you know, uh, I would not have chose it on, right. on purpose, <laughs> but it's working out. Yeah. 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 It yeah. sort of gets handed to you by some contexts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Adlerian though, and going back to the more conceptual level, what are some of the key tenets of Adlerian approach that, uh, that jump out to you? Oh man. You know, I haven't thought about that probably in like uh, 10 years. Okay. Now. <laughs> no, no. Since 2011, so that's uh, seven, seven years. years. Okay, yeah. Um, I know you already mentioned like the familial yeah. element and the existential element. Yeah, the I think it's what it, the one that I talked about earlier how how you're treating a whole person, right? Like like there's concentric circles that that overlap that that you're you're not um, uh, you're not going to be able to partition these different uh, systems, I don't know that he'd say systems, but these different systems in, inside of a person, right? Like if you affect the person's uh, work, which like his, his work on identity and, and work and the meaning of that was pretty great. You are going to affect all of the other things. You're going to affect spiritual life. You're going to affect family life. You're going to affect, you're going to affect uh, identity and shame. Like all these different things are, are going to have this kind of like, um, like cascading effect. Um, when, when you focus on like one, one piece of that. So you recognize that a person is made up of multiple parts by focusing on changing one part that has a ripple effect into the other parts. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Sweet. <laughs> I felt like I should have read the book before, again before. I came <laughs> Sorry, in. I don't know, totally that's okay. We're just really it's curious. Totally fine. Yeah, yeah, we're a curious group. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, so th thinking about the angry boys, um, um, what's helpful for an angry boy? Or, well, I'm thinking, yeah, what's helpful for an angry boy? So there, there's, there's some great research out there on. Uh, I think this comes out of the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk. Um, the, when somebody is emotionally escalated and we're, he's looking specifically at trauma, this is true with emotional escalation in general. And you 
understand the person and empathize with them uh it, it actually has a calming effect on the brain and the nervous system um a lot of parents uh professionals teachers cops will uh not focus on that up front and so when i see a kid who's emotionally escalated the first thing I'm going to do is communicate in some way, shape or form that I, I get where they're coming from. Um, especially if, if it's in session, um, I'm going to, to focus on the kid essentially thinking that I'm on their side, that I'm aligning with them and the parents respecting me enough to be able to listen to what I'm asking them to do. So I'm going to ask them to do really difficult sure. things that are going to be counterintuitive at times. So um, would you define that approach as being uh, like collaborative problem solving? Like working with what they want? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the, the main, um, it's, it's more of an intervention than an actual yeah. comprehensive theory. I feel like I started learning yeah. that like two years ago and yeah. I'm just starting to get oh, it's it. It's so good. <laughs> and it's part so of that's good. because I've been hanging out with you. Yeah. It's, it's so good. <laughs> um, that, that style of conversation not only works with people who are escalated, it just works in life across the board, especially with difficult people. Yeah. So if you're having a hard conversation and you use that style of conversation, it's, it's great. It's, um, it's w- one of the, best tools that I've, I've seen out there. It it can get a little abstract and can be hard for some parents. So kind of distill it to, uh, you know, something a little simpler than, than what the, the, the therapist that's Ross green, uh, his, his book, the explosive child. Um, Oh yeah. Good book. Yeah. It's great. Um, well, this sort of collaboration seems like it'd be really empowering, especially, well, I mean, we were talking about, you know, competency narratives in, in different men and different people and to, to be able to, to collaborate and be included in a process, you know, you're not being dismissed, you're not being condemned, you're not being, you know, uh, minimized or or vilified. Um, that seems like that would automatically create a lot of safe, create a lot of safe space and which, yeah, could be really de-escalating. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the kids, especially angry boys, if they don't think that you're on their side, like if you have their back quote unquote, or, um, you're going to be reasonable and fair with them, they are very likely to give you a, a, a big stiff middle finger just because. Yep. <laughs> um, and and that some, sounds familiar recently. Well, and, <laughs> and sometimes will blow up their own life in order to do it, um, and and not care. Like they're, they're they will they will watch the world burn and themselves along with it. Uh, and a lot of parents don't get that. Uh, they're they're too concerned about the the bad behavior and if we can just reason with him or give yell at them enough or uh give them the right consequences or the right rewards and then they're going to stop doing this and uh, and they don't really understand like like how all in they are on on a lot of issues like they will they will self-destruct just to tell you how upset they are if you don't go through this process and get them to see that or you're on their side and you get what they're going through. That can be intense. That could be intense. I can see how a misstep could be costly. Yeah. 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 Which is why I always start there, you know, like like 
tell me what's going on. Tell me how angry you are. Oh man, you're so angry. That's, that's, that's a lot. Wow. I'd be angry too. But, uh, and then I'll start suggesting, you know, different things that are going to help them be socially appropriate. That'll end up putting, um, uh, guardrails on what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, you know, like, Hey, so you're cussing at your mom right now. That's not super respectful. Um, I'm right across from you. We're in the same room. Be a little more respectful to your mom. Um, you know, like, like once I have that kind of rapport with them, like, I want to hear what you're saying, but man, my ears hurt. (laughs) Like, can you, can you take it down from like a seven to a four? Really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. And you can get away with that because you've got the relational context. Well, to... they know that. I, yeah, they know that I want to hear them. Like, I legitimately want to hear you, but I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna do it like this. Yeah, um, but I'm uncomfortable. Right. Well, <laughs> I mean, not. I am uncomfortable, but I, I'm also telling them uh, indirectly and directly that what they're doing isn't okay. That's cool. Um, some of that, some of that is reminding me a little bit about, um, I mean, working cause I, so I work in an, an addictions context with mostly men and some younger men too. And it seems like some of these issues come up there too, where they tend to be really suspicious of the system, suspicious of authority and cause they've been hurt in a lot of ways by a lot of people. Yeah. And so I feel like I've, had really good success, mate, just building rapport and building trust by just validating their experience, not putting a whole lot of demands on them right up front and not being super critical if I can get away with it. Um, but really focusing on the trust and the rapport, the acceptance, um, like ever before I get into any sort of confrontations or anything like that. It seems to translate. Yeah, that's, that's, super important and it's super important for the parents to learn how to do that because they're going to leave it's one hour out of a week and i tell families and individuals this constantly during the first session um you're gonna have to work on this stuff out of outside of session because i'm just not that good <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like i wish i were better but i'm not and <laughs> there's no smoke and mirrors there's right. no magic like it's going to be hard work and a lot of it's going to be determined on what you do. Well, most of it's going to be determined on what, what you do outside of session. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, the parents sometimes will, will want me to fix their kids tell them, man, I, I wish I, I wish I could, but people aren't <laughs> mechanics and I didn't go to mechanic school. I went therapy school. Right. <laughs> two, two different problems. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not a car. Yeah. I'm not a mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we had this really great way of phrasing it earlier where you, you're saying like you could get a kid to respect you, but you can't get a kid to respect their parents. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm, I'm confident the kid can come in here, um, you know, and, and do it wrong everywhere else in the world. Yeah. But I'm confident that I could help him get it right in here predictably um and do you do you extend that work towards like working with the parents or doing any parent coaching or anything well, like yeah that? exactly okay. yeah and that's and that's what i mean by the parents have to learn yeah. how to do yeah, that okay. yeah yeah that's exactly it because the that's that's really a part of the process for the parents to be able yeah. to to help their kids get it right i know ways that it's been helpful with my clients is that i will occasionally do collaborative problem solving with the teenager with the parent watching yep you know and so in some cases we're asking like hey we have this problem um, we need to make sure that this is the outcome. 
Um, so your mom wants to come up with a whole host of consequences and rules and restrictions. What if we let you choose as long as it works out, as long as it plays out well? And that's one that I've used a couple of times. And it's actually worked out well for me. I don't know if that's risky, but it's worked out well every time so far where they'll actually come up with a system. They'll come up with rules and they'll come up with, you know, uh, consequences if the outcome. And they usually choose brutal consequences because they don't want to lose any autonomy, you know, <laughs> because they're choosing how it plays out. And like, you can choose the consequences as long as it works. Well, but you I know? think that, that they also are aware Right? right, that what they're doing isn't okay, and there should be a consequence for yes. it. Yes, right, and and when you and uh, allow them to to voice that, right, they're going to right. pretty predictably. Well, and and like the collaborative problem solving model is saying like, what are we going to do about this problem? Yeah, yeah. and letting them be a part of designing the system, or letting them be a part of choosing uh, the way to solve it. You know, and, and like getting input because if they if they contribute even just you know twenty percent they'll have more buy-in. Well, and a lot of parents, <laughs> that's one of their their concerns is that, well, you're going to tell me that my, my kid should be allowed to do this or you're going to tell me that, um, you know, like this behavior is okay or I have to, you know, bend or change my values or something like that. Um, and I told him, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Like your house, your rules. Like right. I'm not, I'm not going to tell your you. property. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you to, um, changes bedtime. I'm not going to tell you to, to, you know, let the kid keep his shoes on, like, and you know, you, you're right. a shoes off kind of home. Like mm-hmm. I'm absolutely not going to do that. Um, like you get to choose that and work it out with your kid. Right. Right. Like I, I'll teach you how to work it out with your kid. You know, where are you flexible? And kind where of almost teaching not? like property rights. <laughs> property know? rights and like I'm doing the the collaborative problem solving with them so I'm modeling it with them in yes. the moment right like yeah. like like I'm not going to do that to you because uh, that's kind of one of the kids fears right like well you're just going to do what you always do right and and some therapists to be fair will say pretty ridiculous things like uh, you know you should just let your kid do that I don't know why that's a big deal where they they actually do impose their values on the system right which is a big no-no mm-hmm. um and the the parents are afraid of that. The kids are afraid of that. So you know, you model it for the, with the parents um, and for the parents, and you walk through the process with them, and then coach them to do it with their kids. Right. So some of this seems like the process of well, the kids growing up and becoming an adult, and so having to go through the process of differentiation where they're becoming their own person, developing their own their own mind, their own values, their own autonomy developing their own sense of identity that's separate than their parents, only they're not yet old enough, big enough, functional enough to sustain that independently. So they're in that awkward, um, I'm, you haven't said, but I'm kind of presuming you work with like teens, adolescents, perhaps. Yeah, six-ish to to teens, yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 Um, and, which is a very brave Andrew, very brave Adrian. Uh, but I'm thinking about... Um, the process of a parent watching their kid become their own person and letting that process of differentiation happen. And it seems like sometimes that letting go process is hard for parents for various reasons. I wonder, but it, but it seems like that might be part of the part. One of the confounding factors is a parent who wants to retain too much control or retain too tight of a hold or, or let go of control too quickly. Um, and I wonder, I wonder if you could speak to, based on your observations, what might be going on in a parent's head that makes this process hard for them? 
a lot of that is they're trying to be a good parent, right? They're, they're trying to do the best that they can with what they got. Uh, and they're, they've got really good reasons for letting go too early or tightening down too much. Cause in their head, uh, they've, they've got this idea of what the goal is, which nine times out of 10 sensible, good, never throw that goal away, always have it. And what ends up tripping them up is their method, right? Like how they, they think they're going to get to their goal with their kid. Um, and, and so the conversation turns into, well, so your, your goal is great. Like, let's keep that. Cause that's actually, yeah. Like you want to be a, a good parent and you want your kid to grow up to be a productive member of society, um, a good person, a responsible person, um, somebody who can take responsibility and be a good husband and a father. Like these are all great things. Absolutely. Let's keep those. Um, what's the effect that, that what you're doing, um, is having on your child, you know, and, and that, that ends up being a really sensitive, difficult conversation where, where we look at the here and now and like, like your goals are great, but practically what's happening, how's that working out? Um, and, and, you know, they're not seeing me because things are going well. Um, and so there, it, it's a tough, sensitive spot that, you know, it, you ha- I have to become the, the parent whisperer at that point. Like that, that becomes the point where for parents, especially that it, there's a lot of understanding and care that needs to be there and gently calling attention to, you know, what you're doing isn't effective. And if you can go on this ride with me, I think that I can give you some, some different ways of doing things that are going to accomplish the goal that you want. It almost sounds like you um, described the same system in that you start by validating their position, uh, their values, uh, their methods as their intentions, I should say, and then kind of slowly working towards the Hey, is this actually working? Is this getting your intended outcome? You know, like you're, you're you're starting with getting rapport. I think you you said a very similar system. It sounded really familiar with the same system that uh, working with the teenagers. We you may be using. It sounds like almost a similar system with the parents. Maybe the pace is different, but does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and and really, uh, we were talking about Jordan Peterson earlier. Like he he talks about about this. Uh, why would why would anybody be open to hearing what you have to say if you think that they're an idiot, right? Like yeah. like if the the parent comes in, like they're already feeling shame. Like I I failed as a parent, or you know, like I'm. I'm messing my kid up. Um, they're, they're, they're experiencing all these negative emotions. Um, and while I do place a lot of, uh, responsibility on the parent because they're the adults at the same time, you know, it's, it's really important to, uh, not intentionally or, um, unintentionally, uh, feed into that shame because then they're going to, they're not going to be open to change and it's really not a productive intervention. Well, but I mean, we're, we're change experts, right? Yes. Like, like yes. that's, that's, that's really what we do at the end of the day. We help people change lo- yeah. their lives. And, and in order to do that, like shame can't be a part of the process like that. That's, that's going to, to get, keep people stuck predictably and stuck in really probably not great things. For sure. Well, yeah. And real change won't happen unless the person is willing and, and, and open to it. And yeah, and if there's shame, there won't be 
that willingness or openness. Yeah, tell me how bad of a parent I am and, and how I'm messing uh, yeah, my kid yeah, up. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, like, yeah, like I, 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 I want to hear what you have to say. Please keep giving it to uh, me. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's something that I've learned over the years too. Like, uh, uh, people will let you know when you don't get it, they'll repeat themselves. Um, and when I hear parents or kids, uh, anymore, repeat themselves, like I'll actually say that out loud. Like you just repeated yourself. So that, that makes me think that I don't understand like what you're saying or, or like I'm missing something that's really important and I don't know what it is. Can you help that's me figure a, that's that out? That's a great out? thing to think about and to consider like, Oh, that, that should mean something. I should, I should make that a little I red flag. You know? that. That's really great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I'm going to steal that one now. No, please, no, no, please do. Yeah. For the masses, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. what the, the podcast is for. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, but I, I see it in fights all the time, right? Yeah. Like they just say the same thing over and over and over and over. And, and the message is always like, you don't hear me. You don't get it. I want you to hear me. You're still not listening. Um, so when I'm interacting with people and, and as soon as I hear a sentence repeat, I'm like, breaks. Okay. I, I missed something like, right. Yeah. That's so great. So, so on the, on this line of, uh, stealable tricks, um, <laughs> that's why it's right, not right, copywritten. Right. So it's not copywritten. Yeah. yeah, go for it. So, uh, so for the, the practitioner or student considering, uh, considering a specialty in, in men's work and more in particular with boys and with a nuance after note of anger in there also, what are some of the most important things a person should remember or mentally have in place in order to do this work? Oh man, stay calm. Uh, the, the calmest person in the room typically has the most power. Ah. Um, and love it. And, that's, that's quotable. Well, and I, and I, uh, I tell that to parents, you know, like, like, oh my, like, you expect me not to yell when my kids doing all this stuff? Like, I can't get their attention any other way. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't come out and say this, uh, in this way, but, you know, like when I've done crisis work, um, rarely have I ever had to yell. You know, it's kind right. of, one, it's kind of one of those things like, oh, I, I, I may do it briefly just to kind of like, you know, get their attention real quick. But as soon as I have their attention, I back off. Um, and, and so I, you know, I kind of try to walk them through that. Well, like, yeah, you need to get their attention. Absolutely. And at the same time, once you have it, like you've, you've, you got to throttle back. Otherwise you're going to continue to escalate the situation. Um, I've always, um, you know, said that, you know, if I'm yelling, there's something dangerous happening, you know, that's always been like the rule. Absolutely. That's a great way of putting it. And I don't have like a real strong belief that that is an infallible belief. Like I think there might be exceptions that I haven't considered, but so far in my life, it's been a good rule of thumb. Like if, if, if I'm yelling, something dangerous is happening. That seems you like know? a great rule of thumb for <laughs> when I'm, I'm with my family. Too. Well, <laughs> well, you can have situations where like, if there's, you know, abusive behavior going on, you know, in a family, sometimes like maybe that is a gray area, you know, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, Maybe yeah. someone should be all that. You know, I don't know, I, but it's something to think about. I don't have the answers to that, but I think I think I think that's worth figuring out. So maybe I missed something in what we were just talking about, but I'm having a hard time picturing any clinical context where yelling is no, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. So uh, I was called out on a crisis call, and this kid was um, with Multnomah uh, Crisis Response and a police officer. 
um, and they lived really close to a busy road. Mm. Oh, so it was um, out in the community. Yeah. Oh, okay, and, okay. Oh, well, I've done it in session too, but maybe harder to explain. <laughs> but, I, but I mean, like, you know, like I, they, they were like, Hey, this kid's not doing well. Can you go out there? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm actually pretty close. No problem. You know? And when I, when I, saw them i walked up and uh you know when it was approximately yelling distance i yelled it's like hey like what are you doing like well and you know got his attention and then very reasonably said like like why am i out here and <laughs> why are the cops here and why is crisis response here help me understand what's going on mm-hmm. you know and then i proceeded to have a civil conversation with them um Sometimes in session in the room, people will start yelling at each other and raising their voice. They get locked in their their cycle. Um, and unless I do something, uh, right. uh, very, I just go flip the light switch on enough. Well, I mean, you could do, <laughs> yeah, you could do that too. But yeah, um, I, know. I, I mean, <laughs> but but I mean, like like I've I've done other things other than yell, but I I have what said uh, I actually did this yesterday, like very loudly, like whoa 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 stop time out no like like right. you know like like we're we're done with that we gotta nope it's too too much you know and um and sometimes my uh therapist friends that i share the uh the, the counseling center with will be like oh it was a it was an interesting interesting yeah, session today there. yeah yeah, yeah it's a good session uh, today huh like <laughs> um but but again right like to get their to get their attention to and then throttle back in order to um have a civil conversation um sometimes people get so escalated that uh unless something really drastic interrupts them they they're 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 going to go and go go. they're going to keep going especially if you have someone with a trauma history well with fft with functional family therapy the uh they the research on that um uh, really points to when you interrupt the family's cycle um, the odds of the that interaction going well increase, um, and and the interruptions can be anything from uh, I've laid down on the floor in the middle of session. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. Yep, yep. Like you know, I, I've yelled. I've done yep. other well, ridiculous and, and, things. You know, especially if yeah. you have a teen who is your client. Yeah. That if a parent is starting to criticize in your space, this safe space for your teen that has to be ended very quickly. You know, you're, you're potentially damaging a lot of rapport in the room. There's, there's a lot of variables that could be really destructive to what you typically try to accomplish in the room with that teenager. Yeah. And that's, and that's really milder in my mind, right? Sure. Like I'm not going to have to get up out of my chair. You know, I will, I'll, I'll definitely address that, but right. you know, like uh, I'll, if I'm laying down on the floor, they're fighting, no one's listening to me anymore. And, <laughs> um, and, and, and I'll just say, yeah, I'm going to, I'll be here when everybody's ready to, to, to stop. You know, I'll, I'll wake up. I'm going to take a nap now. Right. Meanwhile, I'm still charging you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, that's really great. Really clever. Um, so minding time, we'll have to wind down a little bit. But I, I know I've taken a bunch of like a, a box full of balls and I've dumped them out on the ground. And that's okay. Just started pushing They're really great. <laughs> yeah. No problem. It's really no. Great. All, all of these thoughts are really great. Um, but so Reese but, will rope you in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, 
or I'll lie down on the floor. Laissez-faire, free range, yeah, 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 yeah. Blogging. Uh, but so thinking about again, thinking there's you know hopefully you know intern students listening or practitioners who are considering, hey, am I interested in making a, a shift in what my clinical focus is? Uh, why do you love your work, and why would you, if somebody, if somebody were interested in doing men's work, shifting to men's work, you know, what would you call attention to that you just love about it, and that you'd want them to experience also? Uh, that's that is a great question. Uh, so with with men, uh, it's a little different than with like angry boys and families. Um, uh, I'm I, I'm excited to work with men because the the message often today is that it's not okay to be a man. Um, if you're striving for classical, um, respectable, uh, um, images of like, of manhood, uh, that's, that's actually countercultural these days. Um, and prior to that, it was, um, like, this is what it looks like to be a man. And, you're you're not allowed to 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 cry you're not allowed to show weakness yeah toxic in a different way right, right. like like you're you're not allowed to be vulnerable um talk about feelings like like here's what it looks like to be a man and if you do things that are outside of this um this box we're going to uh directly and indirectly tell you that you're out of line and ask you to get back in line and men's lives really fall apart. One of the first questions I ask guys, and we, uh, this isn't this isn't my question, but uh, I, I got it from a, uh, a guy Jay McCall that does a lot of work with men. Um, uh, is how many people know what's going on in your life? You know, like how many friends do you have that know that know everything about you? It's it's kind of the the different ways of asking the same question. And largely the guys that come in will say something to the effect of nobody. Um, my wife maybe kind of knows, or it's only my wife and the guys are largely on an Island and that is, that's not human. Um, it's not sustainable. Well, (laughs) it's not human. We're not, we're not designed to, to be, um, isolated like that. And, and guys are largely, and it's, and it's sad it's it's painful to watch and and they suffer because of it the depression anxiety addictions um guys they sure don't look happy in my office well exactly i mean well and and i mean it's coming from a guy who's um been in that and battled these issues like it's um it's painful it's absolutely painful and a lot of guys don't know what to do about it and so they get desperate and they they get hopeless and then their their lives are in shambles as a result and and this is just the way it is and you know there's there's nothing to be done about it or they get really good at distracting from it and numbing it or ignoring it through some yeah but and under uh, the the message underneath a lot of that is like it's not going to change anyway so like like why bother? Right. Like, and, and that's, that makes actually good sense. You know, like why would you waste your time doing something that, that is going to be unproductive? But a lot of guys believe that they don't believe that, that things can be different. Uh, and, and, and it's really exciting being able to, to help them see like, no, there, there is a way out. There are, there are things that can be different, practical, tangible things that can be done that are going to, 
change the way life works for you. Um, and that's super exciting. I, I, that's the stuff that I really like doing with guys, um, with boys specifically. I, I love it when, um, <laughs> like they've, could they come in with this stigma of, uh, just being a, a total screw up and, uh, helping them get it right and, and prove other people wrong. <laughs> like it's kind of the angry boy in me, but like, like I, I, I love it when, when, when they succeed, um, and they, they go against the, uh, shameful labels that have been placed on them and the, I, the, uh, kind of, um, the roles that other people have placed them in and they've placed themselves in. Uh, it's fun to see them break out of that. That sounds really beautiful. Yeah. It's exciting. We get high fives all the time. Hot. So good. Yep. Like they get it right. <laughs> high five, man. Right. It's great. Some chocolate over there. So good. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love the idea of rewriting the narrative and rewriting what it means to be a man and allowing more space for, for man to, to truly be a man and to be a human and to be his whole person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really great. Well, uh, any last quick thoughts for our listeners on working with men and angry boys? Read, you know, read, go out there and and really see what people have written on the topics. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Yeah. You mentioned the explosive child. That's a really good resource. Um, any other like top two or three books or articles to read about this? The explosive for, for kids, uh, an explosive child parenting teens of love and logic are I hand out regularly to clients. Um, I, I try to buy them on Amazon, uh, in, in, you know, quote unquote bulk, you know, like I'll get, I'll get like all of the used. <laughs> There's a couple books that I buy. Like, I'll get all the used ones that are time. like two bucks uh, you know, and, yeah. I need, and I'll buy it like just a, a yeah. ridiculous amount of them and then just start handing them out. Um, for guys, uh, for men, Wired for Intimacy is a great book. Um, I, the, the guy's last name's Hendricks. I don't remember his first name. I've heard of that um, one. Um, uh, it's about, uh, pornography, about manhood. Um, it's, it's very, very good. Um, oh, I think I have that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, it, other than that, it kind of depends on the guy, like, oh, like where, where I'll steer them toward. Um, there's some other great books out there that talk about it. Um, I can't remember the, I got, I got it on audiobook, but I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. Um, there's this one therapist that talks about men and depression. Um, and I'm going to like try to search for it real quick because it's actually, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's that good. It's that good. Yeah. Um, uh, good resource. We, we, we love the resources. And yeah. Well, I do actually read some of the things that are recommended on this podcast, believe it or not. And uh, I don't have a whole lot of time to read. I might read twice as many audiobooks as I do actual books. I'm really impressed with myself lately. Like yeah. my, my life is stabilizing just enough. I can actually read. And I think I stopped watching shows, which was probably a good thing. Um, Lent was good for me this year. Well, yeah, you know, I don't have like a formal Lent process, but uh, but I'm thinking about creating one yeah. just to see what I can do to mix up my life yeah, a little bit. Yeah, what would happen if yeah. you did something different with your evenings? Right, or you could just join the Orthodox Church. They have a really good <laughs> model there. Anyway, but but I stopped I stopped watching shows, yeah. and then now all of a sudden 
like I'm a I'm sleeping better when right. I get to bed. Right, there's midnight. good sleep hygiene. But there's a lot of sleep or a lot of reading time for right now. Yeah, yes. you guys are so kind about talking about stuff so I could look for this book. It's actually called I don't want to talk about it. It's Terrence Real. All right, thank um, you. Phenomenal book. Uh, John Gottman's got great stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I love uh, Gottman. Uh, the what's his name um man interrupted by philip zambardo is another good one as well it, it's there's there's a lot of great stuff out there uh just just read take stuff in and um you know like really expose yourself to to the yeah. literature and and what people are talking about on the, right. these issues jordan peterson another uh, great oh uh, yeah 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 uh, yeah, a great about him before, on, yeah. On topic. jordan yeah. himself yeah, yeah. yeah. okay yeah. All right, so get our Facebook, read some books. Yep. And uh, Ainsley, if uh, if a listener wants to get a hold of you, uh, what's a good contact? For yeah, them? so you can find me uh, on the Lacamas Counseling website. Uh, you just go under counselors and look for Ainsley Silva. Um, I can find you on Psychology Today yeah, too. Yeah, if you I just type my name in, man, uh, exclamation yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I pop up. Yeah. 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 The, oh, that's that guy. That's a man, isn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you recently started incorporating neurofeedback into your practice. Yeah. Yeah. So you have working with you to yeah. calm down the central nervous system. Yeah. People know that, that I do that. Um, you actually interned under me for a year. And so I can personally vouch for you being excellent in the field. And so I'm really excited to see how you integrate uh, neurofeedback into working with men. Um, that's a tricky one, but well, you gotta you gotta keep uh, coaching me up on on how to do it and how to talk I'm about it. I'm thrilled to keep working with you. <laughs> I, I want to see you integrate them. I do. Uh, well, Josh vouches for Ainsley, and I vouch for Josh's vouchers. So, <laughs> so many vouchers there going on go. right now. Yeah. What happens when we cash them all in? All right. Well, we will go wrap it there. Thank you, Ainsley, for uh, talking with us, sharing some of your story and your work. And thank you, dear listener, for following us as well. We will be back with more Smart Counsel. We love your feedback, so let's keep the conversation going. Follow Smart Counsel on Facebook at at Smart Counsel Podcast, on Twitter at at Smart Counsel 601. And you can email your questions to smartcounselpodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Nate Botsford. Our logo design is by Thomas Moore.